Uh, it's uh, <clears throat> I'm just super encouraged, uh, and I and I and I pray that everyone had a blessed uh, Christmas and that you enjoyed time with your family and friends, and uh, you know just had some rest. Hopefully, you did have some rest in that. Um, but I'm 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 very encouraged. I was super encouraged this morning. I'm reminded that <clears throat> just because we don't necessarily see right in front of our faces what the Lord's actually doing doesn't mean he's not at work. Amen. That he's not at work in the lives of people around us. And I was super encouraged that this part of the body, and I know this, is that people truly have been converted and the mentality is, we are on mission. We are on call. Um, people in their individual lives are being used in many ways to bring honor and glory to the Lord. And that's what we want. That's what the Lord wants. He wants people to, to be able to disperse and go out, uh, go forth and share the gospel message with those around them. So amen to that. Uh, as we are kind of tapering off and ending uh you know this uh 2021 which has been a wonky year um i have been convicted this week that you know just being in prayer of what can we do more collectively as the body uh to be uh, you know to, to be a presence in the community so there are some things that uh have been brought up to my attention so i'll be prayer in prayer for that and uh, lord willing uh, come the turn of uh, next year, we'll have some uh, opportunities and, you know, and options for us to come together and, and be kind of together in the community as a presence uh, a little bit more. Amen. Because uh, it's felt like, man, it's come in week out, week, week in, week out teaching. And, and there's so much more to living the Christian life than that. But uh, again, having uh, ha- having uh, the word transform you to where you're Living out your faith on a daily basis is a beautiful thing. And, and uh, my, my, my very limited uh, understanding of things, I, I was brought to the realization to remember that just because I don't see <laughs> God moving in every circumstance doesn't mean that he's not. So amen to that. All right. Um, we are in Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 13. We'll be finishing up the letter to the Church of Philadelphia. So uh, please, if you can, uh, go ahead and stand. And uh, thank you for those who are able to tune in uh, via our little Zoom. We still do that. This is crazy. We're living in a time where it's like, you know, you you got those options available to you just because uh, just the way things are. But, you know, praise God that his word gets out. Amen. Any way it can. So Revelation chapter three, verses 10 down through 13. All right. And it says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance i will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try uh to try those who dwell on the earth i am coming soon hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown the one who conquers i will make him a pillar in the temple of my god Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, as it's been said, we do. We want you to to come, Lord. We want you to uh, come back for your church, Lord. We we want to be in your presence, Lord, for eternity. And we know that uh, your word says that uh, Jesus will come back, and he he wants to see his church without spot or wrinkle. And so, Lord, help us to uh, be willing to allow you to come into our lives and, and speak into our lives and show us areas that you want us to surrender over to you or areas where you want us to hand over the reins where you truly are our God 
and you are almighty and you are in full control. And we willingly submit these things to you. There's no better place to be than with you and no better thing to do than to bow to your will because your will is best. It's perfect. It's righteous. It's holy. And you know exactly the best course of action for our lives. So, Lord, we, we, we hand over the reins to you. We don't want to be in the driver's seat. We need you to direct our path. You be a lamp unto our feet, our feet and a light unto our path, Lord. And so please, would you illuminate our hearts and our minds this morning that we may be able to rightfully divide your word. Help us to understand it. Give us discernment. Give us the vigor and the hunger to want to apply these principles to our lives so that not only we may see the benefit, but that others around us may benefit from your love. Father, we thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right. Like I said, uh, we'll be wrapping up the second part of this letter to the Church of Philadelphia this morning. And, you know, it's always said, oh, man, the Church of Philadelphia, uh, you know, there was nothing wrong with them. All these other churches, Jesus spoke like, hey, I see your works, but I have this against you and I have that against you. But it's interesting. When you look at this text, even though Jesus had nothing bad to say about the church of Philadelphia, he still had further instructions for them to follow. Right? He didn't have any bone to pick with them. They were faithful. They were living out the calling on their lives. Yet Jesus still had instructions for them to follow. Today, we will learn that even if we are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we can allow our lives and our lifestyles to fall into a position where we let our guard down and we get complacent in this world. Amen. We cannot get to a point where we just think, oh, we know it all. We know about the cross. We know about Jesus coming. You know, we just came off of Jesus came to the earth as a baby. He was in the manger, you know, this and that. We can never, that can never get old to us. That can never become, oh, it's just, that's just what it is. Like, no, that's, that's, that's just, that's so magnificent. That's so amazing. I heard it said that, you know, without the birth of Jesus Christ, there could never be a resurrection of Christ. And so all the more reason to celebrate Jesus Christ coming to earth as 100% God, 100% man in the form of a baby and doing what he did, because it shows us how much he loves us. What if Jesus never came? What if Jesus never came to the earth? Oh, I mean, I don't even want to think. I mean, it's just, it's just horrible. It's a horrible thing to ever even cross your mind because there's, there, there's absolutely no salvation for any human being at all. We're all we will all be destined to, uh, you know, eternity apart from him. But praise God that he loves us so much. He's such a good, good God. You know, the Trinity and all their wisdom and greatness decided this is the plan for redemptive humanity, how we can redeem this creation, and so we can be in right standing with God. That's a beautiful thing. All right, so we have several main points this morning, and the first one is this. If we remain faithful and patiently endure the trials of life, we will be spared from the second death. Jesus Christ makes it perfectly clear in this uh, portion of Scripture. He says that one day the hour of trial will come upon this whole earth. Just like Jesus is coming back, the hour of trial is also coming and will come upon this earth. And the only way to escape that absolute final judgment of God is to patiently endure in Jesus Christ. You see, it's an interesting statement because, again, if we don't have the proper context, we can make the Bible say whatever we want it to say. Some would hear that statement and try to manipulate that saying and say, oh, so being saved is all about works because, oh, well, you have to patiently endure. So it must be works. Because Jesus said that. Because you must, be, you must patiently endure. But this is a completely wrong thinking if someone was to take that and try to skew that, uh, that statement. Because 
it falls in line with that thinking of, well, once saved, always saved. I'm sure you've heard that before. But you see, the reality is we're not saved by works. We're not saved by what we do. The fact is, if we truly are saved, salvation, right, that comes from Jesus Christ will manifest itself in our lives by us patiently enduring in Christ until he returns or until he calls us home. You see, it's a it's an inward working that starts with Christ and ends with Christ, but it manifests itself in the outpouring of things we do in our lives and patiently enduring in him, despite difficulties and hard things you go through in this life are all tied to Christ. So they're markings that show that you are in fact saved and that you do have salvation. That's what it's about. So in fact, one holding on proves that one is truly saved. That's how you can tell if you're saved because you're holding on. You're holding on to Christ. You see, we can see that some started out strong in their faith only to fall away and not finish the race. Well, what does that mean? Does that what were were people even saved to begin with? We know it's not something to get into a debate or a discussion about, but the reality is if your life has been confer- converted and truly changed, you're going to come back. You're going to come back. It may not be right now, but you're going to come back. You cannot escape the hand of God pursuing you, pursuing you, right? You can only live a lifestyle against God for so long. If you're his, you will return. He will get a hold of you. Amen. That's part of his process. It's not for us to say when that will happen, but it will happen for every individual that is truly his. You see, because true submission of one's life to Jesus Christ will produce long-suffering and endurance. It just will. If you look at your life and you look at the things that you've had to go through, that you've had to endure, be it people against you, be it maybe even your own family, be it even some within the church, whatever. If you're patiently enduring, this is markers that is saying your life is submitted to Jesus Christ because you're clinging on to him. You're holding on to him for his sake, for his honor, for his glory. You do these things. We do these things. Amen. And the reward for patiently enduring this wicked world is unhindered fellowship with the Trinity, with the triune Godhead, with God the Father, with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit. And you also evade the second death. That is that is. That is the reward you and I get. We have true fellowship with God. You have true fellowship with Him. You can experience that today. You don't have to wait until you go to heaven. You can have true peace with God the Father right now. You can hear from Jesus Christ. You can commune with Him. You can hear from the Holy Spirit. And you can be impressed upon uh, yourself by Him of what to do. You can have discernment. All these things that are markers of your relationship with God. Isn't it a beautiful thing when you come into a situation and you need direction, you need wisdom, and you ask God, and He gives it to you. He gives you the perfect word for someone. Or He gives you the perfect thing to do. Maybe the person needs a hug, and you just, you're willing to have an outstretched hand. Or maybe it's a meal and you, you, you're moved to give them a meal. Or you're moved to help them in some kind of way, right? You're moved with compassion. We were talking this morning, uh, you know, about the whole situation with the, you know, with the priest and the Levite and, and, the, and the person stranded on the side. And then, then the half-breed Samaritan, the person that was despised the most in the Jewish culture, was moved with compassion to come to this person's aid. And they didn't want anything in return. That's true love. It's not looking to be uh, esteemed because you do something. Not looking to be recognized by doing something. But you simply see a need and you're moved with compassion. That is just a picture of what Christ did for us. He saw we were broken. He saw we were destitute. He saw we were just in a place of just uh, no getting back. And he was moved with compassion to give his own life. That's why the cross 
and, and what Jesus did upon the cross can never get old. That has to move us. That compassion that Christ had for you and for me. Take it personal. And, and then share that with someone else. You know, like I said earlier, uh, before uh, you know, I got into this message, you know, I was convicted last week. I was convicted because I felt like the Lord was showing me like there's just, there's just more. There is more to it than this. This is just but a tiny speck of what we are to do. And then I was also encouraged that, again, we are doing this outside of this building. And that's a beautiful thing. But the conviction was real and it was strong because my heart breaks for this world. And, and, and I'm like, Lord, what can we do in this community as collectively? I know we're individually doing our thing, but how, what can we do? Get, and, and, and it may not come through me. And this is where the body takes uh, uh, ownership. And we all hear from the same God. We all share the same Holy Spirit. So it's like, that's where I'm at now. So again, this is a side note, but please be in prayer about that and bring to my attention what it is we can do collectively as the body here in, in uh, the city of Milpitas because people need the Lord. They need Christ. Amen. And we, we, we have him. We stand in line to give people what they need and to be used to honor and glorify God. And watch, watch the floodgates break open as we remain faithful and we do whatever it is the Lord is going to call us to do in 2022 because it is inevitably going to get crazier. <laughs> I wish I had something else to say, but it's going to get crazier because Christ is coming back. And in order for Christ to come back, things are going to get more wonky. So, you know, as long as souls are being harvested, as long as souls are being saved, really, that's all that matters. You know, because this earth is going to burn. <laughs> this earth is going to burn. This earth is not your home, you know. And, and it's not a cynical perspective. It's just we have to have an eternal perspective and make sure that, again, as every day we live, we're doing all we can to honor him and glorify him. So then those we leave behind, man, you know, these grandkids, these younger generation of people, they're going to grow with that same vigor and hunger for the Lord and cling to him. Amen. That's an important thing. All right. The second main point is this. Those who try and dwell on this earth will face the hour of trial. Those who try to dwell, they, they, they make this earth their dwelling place. They do all they can here. You see, nowadays, culture throws out this saying, living your best life now. Live your best life now. You know, go for it. Have at it. Do the most you can now. But re in reality, what that statement actually means is live it up to the fullest right now, right? Because once you die, that's it. You go off into oblivion and there's nothing else. That's the, that's the, that's, that's the worldview that people like that have when they say live your best life now. This is exactly what Jesus Christ was talking about when he said, those who try and dwell on the earth will fall into the hour of trial. And that's such a scary thing. That is such a dangerous thing that you and I don't ever want to play with. And that's, again, it moves us to have compassion on those that we see around us that don't know Christ. And all they're doing is trying to get their fill now and live it up now. But what's going to happen when now is over? And that's it. And they haven't accepted Christ as their Savior. It's not a good thing. You see, these individuals have turned their backs on God and live as they desire now, fulfilling every carnal inclination they have, doing whatever they want, eating whatever they want, taking whatever they want. And it means people too. You, know, you see the carnage. You see the carnality. You see the viciousness. People have no concern for human life. The way we abort babies at the rate we do and all these different... I mean, I can go on and on with all the heinous, crazy stuff. But I'm not trying to stay on a negative space. But we all see how there's a lack of value of human life. It's because people are living their best life now. They're doing whatever they want 
not thinking that they will ever be held accountable for all that they have done. You see, so because they refuse to see life through God's eternal perspective, they try to dwell on the earth. And they try to do it all now. Got to get the Lambo. Got to have the Fortune 500 company. Got to have this. Got to have that. You know, you can try to fill up. We just came out of Christmas. And I can guarantee you, because it's happened in my household, (laughs) you can get all these presents and they lose their luster so quick. My son got all these toys and he's, uh, he's uh, off to the next thing. You just got it. You just kept talking for six months that you wanted this and wanted that. And all of a sudden you, you over here humdrum about it. <laughs> there he goes. But, you know, it's the reality. But that's what happens when we try to dwell on this earth and, and, and we try to make this place our eternal habitat. You can't eternally live here. People want to be immortalized, and we make statues and erect statues of, of, of figures that, oh, he was such a good man, and he was honored. I get it. But it, it's, it's, it, it's a kind of a catch-22 because it gives this perspective of, well, this, this bronze statue of this man is going to last forever. But like I said, like the Bible said, Eventually, this earth is going to burn away. And every statue that was ever erected of any human being, even if they did noble things, it's all going to burn away. It's all going to burn away. You see, the righteous judgment of God will come upon those who choose to disobey and choose to live a lifestyle of sin and not repent. And this will happen, hopefully. uh, Hopefully for them, they will repent before it is too late. And the third main point for our uh, message this morning is this. Anyone who holds fast to Jesus Christ will remain in him forever. You see, I love how even though there are very direct, piercing, crushing points that Jesus Christ makes, he always brings it back to, well, if you just... Do what I show you you should do. It's all going to work out. That's why he's such a good God. Because his wrath and his judgment is righteous and it's deserving. But he also shows us you and I don't have to experience that. We can experience the goodness of his nature. the the, The great loving character that he has. If we would just hold fast to Jesus and remain in him. What are we holding on to today? Is Christ your source of life? Or are there other things that you are holding on to in place of Jesus Christ? Because you see, the most important decision everyone will ever make is not who they marry. Is not what their career will be or where they will live. Though those decisions are important, none of those decisions are, are, are important. They're not as important as the most important decision one will make in this life. And that, that important decision is, who is Jesus Christ to you? To you personally. You see... Again, I keep using this reference of Christmas because we just had Christmas Day has come and gone, right? And for a lot of people, the whole notion of Jesus Christ has come and gone. It's only intellectually understood. Yes, he came to earth. He's in a manger, (laughs) you know, uh, the star movie, whatever. and, And that's it. But it hasn't gone from an intellectual thought process to what what it really hit my heart. And I've become convicted and I've been reminded that, no, I am a sinner in need of salvation. That's the whole reason. He didn't come. He did not come to 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 stay in a manger. That's not it. He didn't come to just be a baby. What did Jesus do? A lot of people stop with that. They don't they don't talk about, well, he grew up. And what did he do when he grew up? And what how did he die? And why did he die? Right. But, but this is the, the most pressing decision anyone, everyone will have to make, is who is Jesus Christ personally to you? You see, again, we are not saved by works. 
But we need to be proactive in the sense that we must decide once and for all, is Jesus Christ the king of my life or not? Right? You see, in the Christian life, because we're not robots. We're not robots. He didn't force us. You see, the most weakest form of power, oh, poor baby, my daughter was screaming her head off last night. I didn't know what was going on with her. And all of a sudden I go in there and then she's screaming even more. And then Veronica says, it's the shadows. I said, okay, shadows. <laughs> and then later on, she's still crying this and that. And then she, I, I go back in the room and Veronica said, oh, I, I tell daddy why you were scared. And she said, because of me, because I came in there. I guess I came in there loud and the shadows and it totally freaked her out. So I know side note, but I was just, I heard that cry. I'm like, oh, poor baby, you know, um, but again, like I said, that's the thing with the, with, with the Christian life. We're, we're not robots. We're not made to just submit because the weakest form of power is those that, okay, maybe it's not the greatest example, but I'll use it. A pimp. Somebody who forces their hand or an abusive, abusive, abusive father or, or mother or husband or wife where it's a hand being forced upon you. You see, because true power, true power, you don't got to lift a finger to get someone to do what you want. But the whole, I'm macho, this and that, I'm going to, you know, throw my weight around to get you to do something. That's the weakest form of power that anyone could ever have. And then you see the difference because you see mankind with, I have my tanks, I have my nuclear missiles, I have my satellites everywhere, I'll nuke you, I'll do this and that. And Jesus Christ is like, dude, I came in the form of a baby and I died on a cross. I didn't stab nobody. I didn't take nobody out. I stretched out my hands and I let you take my life. Well, I laid my, he laid his life down, but to mankind, it looks like he's weak, but yet he's the one in full control because his power is meekness under control. He doesn't have to flex his muscle, but when he does, that hour of trial is going to come upon the world and it's going to be a horrible thing. It's not going to be a good thing at all. So we have to settle this once and for all. Who calls the shots in your life? Who calls the shots in my life? Is it him or is it me? You see, because Jesus gives no wiggle room on this decision. But this is exactly why many people can't face the truth in their own lives. Because deep, deep down... They know they need to make a decision, but instead they don't want to make that decision. So they keep running away and they keep living their best life now because they don't want to be held accountable. It's so much easier to make yourself your own God because then you can do whatever you want and you can justify whatever you do as opposed to saying, no, I need to submit to you because your ways are right. I'm wrong. And wow, my life is so jacked up and so not the way you want it to be that I have to give up everything. And it's too hard to give up the Lambo. It's too hard to give up the, you know, the, the, the sexual intimacy outside of marriage. It's too hard to give up the gambling habits. It's too hard to give up the Fortune 500 company. It's too hard to give up on the tax evading. <laughs> but that's what Jesus Christ calls us to do, right? And many times people are not willing. It's like the rich young ruler. Maybe it wasn't that drastic with him. <laughs> he wasn't doing all that stuff because he, he was pretty outstanding, but he had some material things that he could not let go of. And what does the Bible say? He walked away bitter and he was grieved in his heart. He, he, he could not part with the things of this world. And again, it's that whole thing of those who dwell on this earth. There's nothing wrong with having things, folks. I say that week in, week out. I have stuff. I enjoy the stuff I have. But now that doesn't lord over me. I can part from it and not be tripping. I may be tripping a little bit, scuff some shoes, you know, but, uh, you know, you get over it. You're not, your life's not taken over by stuff. And that's the big difference because Jesus is Lord. It's funny. It's like a, this whole idea of people not wanting to handle their business and be responsible. It's like a little child. My daughter, she does this a lot. She, you know, when she's in trouble, she closes her eyes <laughs> and she turns around. Like I can't see her. And it's like, that doesn't make it go away. 
you still hit your brother over the head with that piano toy and you got to be held accountable. That was not okay. I'm taking that coconut toy away. You can't have it right now. But we're grown adults and we act the same way. Oh, if I, if I just, you know, oh, let me just turn on ESPN louder. Let me just take more vacations and, you know what I mean, maybe make more money, stay at work longer. Maybe this conviction will go away. It doesn't go away. <laughs> we don't want to end up like Pharaoh where he kept choosing and choosing to do his own thing. And God said, you know, I'm just going to hand you over. <laughs> you have it your way like Burger King and you're stuck and it sucks and your life is lost. Why? Because we just, we fought so hard to do our own thing. And Jesus says, don't go that way. Don't go that way. True followers of Christ have settled this matter not simply in their minds, but it has affected their hearts and it's affected your life. So now your lifestyle revolves around Jesus. It is all about him. And it's not a weird fanatical because there's Christians out there that are weird and it's not right and it's not biblical and they're fanatical and they're very regimented and it's this and that and it's very formulaic and if you didn't do this and if you didn't crinkle the page the right way and if you didn't take communion the right way and if you didn't get baptized and if you don't speak in no we're not doing all that that's just weird (laughs) that's just weird right i mean it's true you look at scripture some people got the gifts of speaking in tongues i will never say that that's not real but not everybody got to be up in the church speaking in tongues i've been in churches like that and they make you feel bad if you're not speaking in tongues. And I start saying, I, 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 well, man, I don't know if some demon didn't try to enter my body. Because people doing weird stuff. But your life has been affected and changed if, if you're moved with compassion. If you've allowed Jesus to be ruler and master of your life. Because you hold on fast to Jesus Christ. And because you hold fast to Jesus Christ, eventually you will live in eternity with him forever. That's a beautiful thing. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. That's a glorious promise. We have the choice today, folks. Choose death or choose life. If you choose life, it says right here that your offspring will live. I firmly believe that generational curses can be broken if an individual decides in their heart and purposes in their mind that they are going to forsake their selves, their flesh, die every day daily to themselves, forsake the world, forsake Satan, and claim allegiance to Jesus Christ. You can break generational curses. Well, the power of the Holy Spirit through you, through your decision, can break generational curses in your life. So you don't have to be in fear of what's going to happen to your grandchildren, your grandbabies, or your children. You can have these generational curses broken. You just have to choose life. Amen? Choose life. Choose abundant life in Jesus Christ. And not only you, but your household will benefit. And that's the thing, right? With society, we want society to change, but it's an it's a every person thing. Every person needs to do their part. Every person needs to come under submission to Christ. And then you could see society change. Every true church, every believer, every member in every real church needs to have that conversion and really be living out their faith daily, submitted to Christ, and you'll see change. You will. I promise you that. It may not look the way you think it's supposed to look. And as they say, this world's still going to hell in a handbasket. But, but it's going to be a glorious thing because you know that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And you're affecting people the way you're supposed to be affecting them. And you're giving honor and glory to God the way you're supposed to. It's a beautiful thing. Don't lose sight of that. No matter what you see on Fox News, CNN, CNNBC, all these news outlets, don't, don't let that deter you from following Christ hard. Amen? All right, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Again, we see this whole statement of the Church of Philadelphia. They kept his word about patient endurance. 
So straight off the bat, we see Jesus reminding this church what they must continue to do. They must keep the Lord's word and patiently endure. I believe that's a sound word for us today here. I don't even care about the name of this church. You as an individual, me as an individual, we need to keep patiently enduring and keep the word of Christ in our hearts. We have to do this. We have to patiently endure. This is very important because it shows us as believers we have a great responsibility in our walk with Christ. You see, many people think it's all about just, oh, raise my hand. I just said this pastor said a prayer. Whatever this person said a prayer, I'm saved. That's it. I just go do what I want. No. It's such a great responsibility to be a Christian because we now know the truth. We are accountable to the truth. And we could be committing sins of omission all the time, knowing what to do and just not doing it. Just flat out not doing it. Because we're just like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to get to heaven. So I could just do what I want. No, we don't live like that. We have a great responsibility. We have a great responsibility to patiently endure. Patiently endure. It's, it's not simply just confessing with your mouth. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not sacrilegious here. Because what I'm saying is, that is a starting point in salvation. But there must be a continual transformation that is your lifestyle of being sanctified in Christ. Part of that sanctification process is keeping his word and patiently enduring. It is. James chapter 1 verses 12 through 15 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Man, I mean that's, that's so crystal clear. We have such a great responsibility. <laughs> we do. And we need to trust and hold on to Christ. The application is this. It's simply this. Stay rooted in Jesus Christ. Make Jesus Christ the anchor of your life. Figure out some kind of routine where he just takes over. Simply put, when you first thing you get up in the morning, get on your knees. <laughs> first thing, don't get out of bed and go pee. Get on your knees and get on the floor. Hold it. <laughs> Hold it and pray. Thank the Lord for what he has done. He's given your organs. They're working throughout the night. He's woken you up. You got breath in your lungs. Your brain is functioning. You can discern right from wrong. I mean, there's so much to praise him for. If you just start your day off like that every day, and that's your lifestyle. Oh, there, there's some statistic. I don't know. There was something on Good Morning America yesterday about uh, this, this, the, the dancing father. And uh, his son ended up with Luke. One of his ch- kids ended up with leukemia. And there's this and that. And he was moved to do all this stuff. But he had made a, he had made a statement saying, we believe so much in a day. The average person, but it's crazy. I don't know the number, but it's crazy. And then he was, he's, he's saved. And he said he was moved to, well, I need to start doing something because I got to believe. And he believed that his son would be healed. And he started acting upon that belief. And in time, his son was restored. And so, again, I, I share that because, again, it's this whole thing of, What am I doing? What am I cultivating in my life to help me stay anchored in Christ? We have to. We have to figure out. And the Lord will show you. That's the whole thing of, Lord, I need wisdom. Show me what to do. Show me how to live. Show me how to act right. Show me what I'm supposed to do to to gain a deeper, closer relationship with you. And he'll show you. He will show you. Build your life upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ and not the shifting sand of this world. Amen? Amen. He goes on to say, I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon this whole world. Jesus also promised them, the church of Philadelphia, protection from the hour of trial 
that was going to come upon the world. You see, most Bible scholars see this hour of trial as a prophetic reference to the messianic woes, the great tribulation, which precede Jesus's earthly kingdom when he's going to come back and we're going to he's going to reign for a thousand years and we're going to be with them. You see, Jesus promised to keep these Christians from that hour and trial. The Lord's hedge of protection and hand was upon his church today. If you are in the fold of Jesus Christ, his Hedge of protection is around you and his hand is upon your life. If we remain true to his call upon our lives, keeping his word and patiently enduring, then we can have complete confidence in his provisions and protections for us. We can. We can trust that he's going to watch over us. Second Samuel chapter 22 verses 2 through 4 says, He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Man, that's powerful. I mean, if you need to see the Lord in any kind of light, see him that way. He's your rock and he's your fortress. He's your deliverer. He's the one you take refuge in. He's your shield. Man, that's beautiful. He can keep you from these things. He can keep you from the evils of the world. They won't, they won't beset you. You won't fall victim to these things. You won't fall away from your faith. But again, what is your perspective? Who has your attention. Is it Christ or is it all these other things? If all these other things that are competing for your attention have you, then you can't expect to have the provision of the Lord because your mind isn't even there. And dare I say, your heart's not there either. But if you're being proactive and as he's pursuing you, you're inviting him into your life and you're pursuing him as he's wooing you to him more and more, then you're going to be in that fold. And that's that whole idea of communion, having that common union, having that interconnected relationship, right? That husband, that wife that have those nicknames that nobody knows but them because they're in that interconnected relationship. We're supposed to be the bride of Christ, right? As the church. So that's how we need to be with him. That's how we need to be. It needs to be a passionate relationship. You should have a hunger and a thirst for God. It should never be, oh, oh, I can't, I got to read. Oh, I got to, you know, maybe sometimes it's like that. It'd be like, oh, Leviticus, I can't do it. But, you know, sometimes people will be like, I just want Proverbs. Let's do Proverbs, you know. But, but it, should be, it should be something that's just, just it's in you. You're just, you're, you're hungry for the word. Because Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. And if that's true, which it is, then that means I can't just live off of NFL. I can't live off of college football. I can't live off of making music. I can't live off of just watching my kids play around. I got to be with Jesus. He needs to be the driving force in my life. And sometimes that's why our lives are whacked out. Because we're doing all this other stuff and we ain't even giving him the first fruits of our lives. And then we're wondering why, okay, I'm not seeing any transformation because we're giving him scraps. And we're saying, yeah, Jesus, I give you like 15 minutes here and that's about it. Well, it's like, okay, well, what can he do with that? When he's like, man, I'm trying to bust open the floodgates of heaven in your life, but I need all of you. I need you committed. And if you're committed, oh my goodness. Just wait and see what's going to pop off. You're just, you're not, you're just going to be astounded by how he's going to use you and how you'll be blessed with so much joy and hope and peace and love and tranquility, things that this world can't give you. And it's not about the stuff, but he'll, he'll probably throw in the stuff too. So then you can bless other people with that, you know? And, and, that, and that's how it works, but it, but it comes from this, this deep hungering in our hearts because we all have it it's that it's that god-shaped hole that nothing can fulfill it i don't care the best of the best of this world cannot fulfill that longing that you have in your soul 
And he wants to be in the holy of holies in your heart and my heart so that we can have deep relationship with him, unhindered by any sin or anything. Amen. He goes on to say, to test those who dwell on the earth. So the test is directed against those who dwell on the earth. This phrase, dwell on the earth, is used nine times in the book of Revelation, and it speaks to those who are not saved in Jesus. Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, makes this same term synonymous with the lost. It goes on to say, And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So this test that Jesus is talking about is actually for unbelievers, not Christians, right? So he's telling the church, if you're in me, if you're in him, you don't have to be concerned about this. For those who are trying, this is for those who, again, are trying to live their best lives now. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? What does it profit to have everything Right. I talked about it earlier. I've had it so many times in my life where I've got stuff. I've had the relationship. I've you know, accomplished this goal and that goal. And I'm I'm left empty. The luster lasted but a moment. I mean, that's the drug addict. That's what drug addicts do. The high only lasts for so long and then they got to get back and get more. And then, you know, the addiction gets deeper and deeper, more and more. It's not, it's not have to be drugs. But it's any kind of thing that we try to fill our lives with other than Jesus Christ. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. But you see, true Christians are different. Though we walk on this earth, our dwelling place is heaven. We are aliens here, if you will. We are foreigners in this land. You know, because this is not our home. We have been seated in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. We do not dwell on the earth. Our life is hidden in Jesus Christ. And he says that he will keep you and I from the hour of trial. Now, does this mean that we will escape before the great tribulation? Or does it promise protection in it? Each side, people have their, you know, pre-trib, post-trib. You know, um, I'm, I'm obviously of the belief that we are not going to be here during that time, that we are going to be raptured up and we will be taken out of this world. But the reality of this is, again, he is going to protect those that are his from this great hour of trial. The promise is a reward for past perseverance that we will be equipped for the future. So again, this is only a test in this hour of trial for those who are not believers, but those who dwell on the earth, whose home they make because they are only living for this earth. They don't have an eternal perspective. They don't have the foresight. They've not been enlightened to understand that it goes far beyond the scope of this world. Your soul is eternal. Never to die, never to end, to be a being living forever, right? Outside of you, this shell of a body. As, as Paul said, this tent is battered and tattered. It's, it's rotting away, but the inner being will live forever in Christ. All right, <clears throat> verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The church of Philadelphia must remember that Jesus is coming quickly and that they must prepare for his coming. This expression quickly is to be understood as something which is sudden, unexpected, and not necessarily immediate. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 tell us, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He's going to come sudden. He's going to come quick. Many people are not going to be prepared. What does the book say? The Bible says there's going to be two people in the field. One's going to be taken, one's going to keep working. And that's what it's going to be, because he's coming like that. It's going to happen suddenly. Jesus' return is imminent. It will happen. He says, hold fast to what you have. The Church of Philadelphia, they must not depart from its solid foundation. They must hold on. Even though they had little strength, they were resilient. I like that. <laughs> we have little strength. Uh, we are resilient. 
They were faithful to Jesus. They kept his word and they did not deny his name. When you are out in the world on your daily, in your daily grind, whatever you do, and you are willing to profess Christ with your lifestyle, with how you act, when it's brought up, if, are you a Christian? You don't shy away from it. You're willing to say, yes, I profess Christ. I am a believer in Jesus. You're keeping his name. These are marks of a real Christian. The application is this. These things for the church today can and must continue as they did amongst those in the church of Philadelphia. But it will only happen if we hold fast to what we have. Jesus Christ remaining to be our foundation. Right? We don't have gimmicks. We don't have, we don't have a bunch of other books. I'm not saying that, that Christian books aren't good. They're good. They have their place. But go to the source. Just go to the Word of God. And this is where, this is where again, setting up this, this precedent in your life where you go and seek the Lord. Whatever your prayer closet is, asking the Lord, Lord, speak to my heart. Show me. Right? I mean, we got so much information, it's almost overload. Sometimes we just need to null it down, simplify it, and just the Holy Bible. Lord, I just need you to speak to me through your word. He says, you want to know my will? Get in my word. Many times we're seeking stuff and we're seeking for answers, but we're not going to the word. We're going to this person and that person, this book and that book, this Christian counselor and this Christian pastor. Go to the word of God. Now, granted, he will use people, but go to him first. Amen. I'm, I'm serious. Go to him first and you'll be so amazed at how he speaks so clearly in such a still small voice. And you're just like, wow. OK, Lord. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. He goes on to say that no one may take your crown. If they fail to hold fast, their crown might be given to another. The idea is not that it might be stolen by another, but given. This was not a crown of royalty given because of royal birth. It was a crown of victory. Jesus encourages his saints to finish their course with victory. Uh, think of a football game. I always use football analogies, but you know, whatever. A team could be doing super good. The Niners were doing not good. <laughs> Thursday night, 10-0. They should have been up. They kept saying, the analysts kept saying, it should be 21-0 by now. You left them in the game. But the coach will, will go into halftime and say, finish strong. Finish the second half strong. Do not lay an egg in the second half. Work hard. Don't let off on the gas. Keep going. And this is, in essence, what Jesus is saying to the church here. Play as strong, play stronger than you, than you played in the first half. He goes on to tell them, basically, never forget that the man most likely to steal your crown could be yourself. It goes back to this whole idea of us becoming lax. Being like, well, I've been, been in the church, I've been saved for 25, 30 years, and it's all good. I know this, I know theology, I you know, went to seminary, I, I know this and that. And then we just think that we know it all, or we know enough to be safe, to be saved. But if you have breath in your lungs, and if I have breath in my lungs, that means that Christ is trying to use you and work through you. And he wants to teach you more and more about himself. It's been said, the more we are saved, the longer we're saved, the more we see our wretchedness, and the more we are humbled knowing how pure and how righteous he is. And so that's how it should be. There should be a continual humbling, right? That's why you see some of these older men, and man, they're so wise, and they don't speak a lot at all, right? Why? Because they just have so much wisdom. Because they, they've, they've lived a long life in the Lord and they just, know, they just know his presence. And they're just content with knowing Jesus. Sometimes we just need to get back to just knowing Christ. It's not about information. It's not about standing up here and trying to spit all this information in a sermon. It's really just about knowing Jesus and having a real relationship with him. That's all that matters in the end. Jesus is not going to care about all these sermons I preached. He's only going to care, did you, Keefing, have a relationship with me? Was it genuine? Was it real? Because all this could just burn up into, you know, be, be, hey, could be nothing. It could not have any fortitude at all unless I have a right relationship with Christ. And that's why we can't, we can't, we can't base our, our faith on things we do. But it is an outpouring of 
compassion that we have and love given to us by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we do the things we do. But it doesn't save us. Amen. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Let me ask you a question. I've had to ask myself this question earlier this week. Are you springing up living water? Bubbling over from an outpouring of Jesus Christ in your life? Or are you springing up dirty, murky, dead water? The word is clear. From our hearts will spring forth the things of life. All right. 12 and 13. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And never shall he go out from it. I will write on him. The name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which come down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Man, this is super cool. He goes on to say that he who overcomes or her. <laughs> see, people get so weird about that. See, that's so sexist. The Bible is always saying he. Oh, my goodness. It's just people will find, you know, man, what was I watching with my kids the other day? Uh, Peter Rabbit 2. <laughs> And the old English rabbit said something about, oh, he said, what did he say? Oh, my gosh. He said such a cool line. He said, because he had lied to Peter Rabbit. He had duped him. All the rabbits and animals were stealing all this food from the farmer's market. And then Peter Rabbit's in the, in the van with them. And he realizes that all his family got locked up. He said, you lied to me. And he said, and the old man or the old rabbit said, it's, it, 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 it's, it's easy to lie to someone who wants to believe. And, and, I, and I, I look at that, and I'm like, that's how Satan is. It's easy to lie to someone who wants to believe. People want to believe, and they accept the lies from Satan, and they just go off gallivanting on their lies, doing whatever they want, because they want to believe. They want to believe so bad. Why can't we just believe in Christ then? It's crazy. I know. That's a little weird side story, but I don't know. Found it. I thought it was fitting. Okay. He tells them that they are going to be overcomers as pillars in the temple of his God. Pillars were pictures of strength, stability, and dignified beauty. Uh, the ancient city of Philadelphia, again, we talked about this when we had first started the, the letter to the Church of Philadelphia. They suffered from frequent earthquakes. When the building collapsed in an earthquake, often all that remained standing were huge pillars. Just think of like the, the, the ruins of Rome, right? You always, when you see Rome, famous pictures of Rome, it's always ruins and, and they, have, they have the pillars. Jesus offers us this same strength to remain standing in him when everything around us crumbles. We can still be stand, standing in Christ. The application is this. Pillars hold up buildings. The only thing supporting the pillar is the foundation it is built upon. True pillars in the church support the church and they look to Christ as their support foundation. The only reason why this church is what it is is because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And every person that is a pillar in this church is finding their foundation in Jesus Christ. I believe that every member is a pillar. You can't just say, oh, because, yeah, I've heard it before. Oh, yeah, these one, two, three people are the pillars of the church. Now, you may have somebody who's a mouthpiece of the church, but that doesn't mean that everyone else that's quiet sitting in a seat isn't a pillar. That doesn't make any sense because there should be no differentiation between this person and that person, right? We're all equalized by the foot of the cross. So a real true church, every member should be a pillar. Amen? That's true. It should be. And if it's not, then there's some soul searching that needs to go on within the hearts of every individual so they can become a pillar. Because he's clearly telling them, you are going to be a pillar in my temple. You're with me in the house of God forever for eternity. That is the truth. That is what he's saying in these scriptures. He shall go out no more. The overcomer would have a place of permanency and stability with God in contrast to an uncertain place in this world. You see, the people of Philadelphia in context lived in an unsettled, in an unsettled, tumultuous life. Whenever the earthquake tremors came, they came often running. People fled the city into the open country to escape the falling structures and flying stones, which always accompanied these severe earthquakes. Then when the earth was quiet again, they returned. 
In fear, the people of Philadelphia were always going out and coming in. They were always fleeing from the city and returning back after the earthquakes happened. I mean, I think it was in 1906. Was that when the great earthquake happened in San Francisco? And, you know, we live in the state, you know, San Jose earthquakes. We haven't had a major one in a while. I don't believe in luck, so I'm not going to knock on wood. But, you know, if that comes, you know, that's the same thing, right? But he's saying that you and I will find our permanent resting place in the only one who is immovable and unshakable, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, I will write on him the name of my God. I will write on him my new name. The overcomer will also receive many names of God, the new Jerusalem and the new name of Jesus Christ. These names are marks of identification because they show we belong to him. They are marks of intimacy. Remember I spoke of uh, you know, an older couple and they have pet names and only they know the names. Snookum, Snoozy, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever. But you got names for each other because you have that intimate relationship with one another. That's the same thing with the church and Jesus Christ. You see, because these names show that they are privileged to know him in ways that others don't. The people that dwell on the earth, they don't know Christ like that. They don't know God the Father like that. So they don't have that intimate relationship with him. You see, uh, this works beautifully in this image of a pillar because we have to understand the context in the ancient world. They would have special inscribed uh, names on pillars added to the temples that honored a faithful city or a servant or a distinguished priest. The Bible is clear that the Holy Spirit of God doesn't dwell in tabernacles made by man. Rather, he what? Dwells in vessels that he has created, which is us. So it's fitting that our lives as new creations in Jesus Christ are the dwelling place of God. He like the church of Philadelphia, will give us a new name. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 2 says, The nations shall, shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. And I'll end with this last note. I know Isaiah went to the bathroom, so it's all good. I'm long-winded anyways. But uh, verse 13 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We all want to hear praise, right? We do. In some way, we, we want to be acknowledged. We, but we need to have encouragement and praise from the Lord that Jesus gave to this church of Philadelphia. Remember, this is the only church that wasn't told, man, you're doing something wrong. You're doing something right here that needs to get cleaned up. All he told them was continue on and continue on in this manner. And that's what we want. You know, that's what I want to hear from the Lord. Uh, you know, I think we all desperately want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't want to have to look back on our lives and see Jesus showing us, man, <laughs> there was this gang of stuff that you didn't do that I called you to do. It's like, how bad are we going to feel? But then he's such a good father. He's just going to be like, it's all, you know, <laughs> you're in the fold. You're coming in. But man, does it, it, you know how it feels crummy when you know you should have did something and you didn't do it. And it's just like, man, it's like a child uh, feeling disappointed because they didn't do what their parents told them to do. And they re it really grieved their hearts. And, and this is, we want to hear encouragement and praise from Jesus. If we be like this church, we must stay on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ and his name and his word. We must also depend upon the source of strength, which is Jesus and not ourselves. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for just, Lord, your, your work in our lives, Lord, the fact that you love us and care for us and that you are developing us, Lord. You are, you are turning us into the people that you've called us to be. And Lord, we take our marching orders from you. Lord, we're thankful that we were able to celebrate a peaceful, restful Christmas. But we know as Time goes on, Lord, you call us to continue to work, Lord. We, we got to continue to keep moving forward, Lord. And there's souls that you are seeking out, people that need to be saved. And we have the answer. We have the antidote to this virus. It's Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you would just help us to further your message, Lord, further your kingdom. We know we're only here for a limited time. 
We know what our true purpose is here on earth, is to glorify you and honor you, Lord. May we find our rest and our purpose in you so that we're not, we're not trying to figure out, running to and from, trying to figure out what our life's supposed to be about. If we find our security and our identity in you, you're going to open up the doors that we need to walk through, as your scriptures say. So, Lord, may you receive all honor, praise, and glory. And we just thank you for this brief time we've had to just come together and hear from you. Lord, now would you do the work that only you can do and give us the ability to live out our faith in a way that will shake up this world for your glory and honor. Father, we thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.